0: Hello, this is Pixelated Playgrounds, a gaming book club podcast discussing the art and craft of video games. I'm Brian Skersha.
1: I'm Josh Kalecki. And I'm Clint Jones.
0: And today we're talking about Control, developed by Remedy Entertainment and published by 505 Games. Uh, It was released for PlayStation 4, PC, and Xbox One in 2019. Uh, I first played it in 2020. Uh, on the PlayStation, and I think I could have probably cooked an egg on my PS4 uh, based on the performance it was uh, drawing out of that thing. (laughs)
1: Uh, Yeah, I also played this on a kind of low-powered PC, so my graphics settings were all the way to the bottom, but I think Clint played it on the fancy new PS5.
2: Hell yeah. I actually tried to play this on my PS4 Pro and it was so choppy that I put it aside. I was like, this game seems cool but I'm going to wait until I have some hardware that can actually play it. So, I did play it on PS5. Much better experience. Um, yeah, this this thing has some kick to it.
0: People don't like it, but this is what Peak Control looks like. Um, and it looks great. This is a game that like really leaned into uh, make, taking advantage of all the technical and um, graphical fidelity things that are out there in the industry and you know, I personally, I I didn't get to take advantage of all of them, but uh, it still looked great on my PC, which I played it for this time around.
2: Yeah. So specifically, I believe what you're talking about there is is the ray tracing. So you're going to hear ray tracing a lot when you hear about video games these days. But um, I've heard from a lot of the major outlets that this is the game that points to how ray tracing is done right. And ray tracing is all about like uh, lighting and active reflections and things like that. And with all the windows and things like in in the building like it really takes advantage of that really well
0: it's an interesting game and i think it's worth talking about a little bit about the legacy of where this game came from uh, before we dive into uh you know the the stylistic aspects because it does have an interesting history i feel like this this is a game as i mentioned by remedy entertainment who's famous more so for max payne and alan wake quantum break to a lesser degree coming up to this but to me, you know, having only played a you know, two of those, this seems like a, a culmination for them. Like, this is, to me, by far the one that's hit the most mainstream for that studio, and I think it's for good reason. Like, they, they really kind of put it all together with this one.
2: Yeah, so that's kind of the reason that we decided to play this game in the first place. Um I don't know about you guys, but I, I love Remedy, uh, games. I mean, I played the shit out of Max Payne. I think that's the game that made me a PC gamer. I got a burned copy of Max Payne from my friend in high school and I played it through like a hundred times. Um, Hmm. and for some reason, I don't really know why, like I kind of like fell off. Like I didn't play, I played a couple hours of Alan Wake one time, didn't really go through with it. Didn't ever play quantum break. And then this game I like let sit for the longest time. I don't know why, but, uh, for this cast I actually went back and played every single game they ever made and well,
0: uh not disappointed even remotely deep remedy catalog for clint that's that's great and hopefully you can maybe you can uh, enlighten us later on about some of the alan wake tie-ins that happened because i think that's that's interesting that they're starting to build their own like remedy game universe
2: yeah it's like a hub and spoke thing and now i think the control is the is the hub that all the spokes come off of it's kind of cool
0: that makes sense because the the story of control is so like vague and open ended, and it, it like uh, alludes to far reaching consequences and alternate realities and stuff. So that's neat. Um, I, I think it's also worth calling out that despite the fact that this is by far like a, a very technically impressive game, probably one of the most like technically impressive games that I've played in a while. It was developed uh, in a much shorter time than most AAA releases, only three years, and on a much smaller budget, about thirty million. Uh, pounce which is interesting considering how technically impressive it is
2: remedy doesn't always make the most um uh, it sells a lot of copies but it's usually later like it, it, it's not like selling a bunch up front they don't necessarily always make a ton of money but they always
1: put their heart and their soul into their games
0: yeah they're not splashy but they have a devoted following yeah for sure maybe yeah.
1: kind of like yeah. a cult following kind of games huh
0: every last one of their games could almost be classified as a cult classic there's certainly games that when you say the, the name Max Payne or Alan Wake, like people know what you're talking about pretty much immediately, even if they haven't played the games. Yep. Let's talk a bit about this game. What it's actually about, because it's got an interesting premise that draws from. Uh, I guess a lot of different fiction um it takes place and I think this is the most important aspect of it at a place called the Federal Bureau of Control or FBC a secret government agency uh, which contains and studies uh phenomena that violate the loss of reality it's a neat premise it's sort of like X-Files but darker and not as campy but sometimes just as campy <laughs>
1: <laughs> there's definitely some humor in the game yeah but they go with the whole like um the bureau is trying to control these things that defy the laws of physics and defy logic
2: yeah that's actually one of my notes it's like this game has a very somber tone at times but other times it's clearly just making fun of itself like the refrigerator that kills people if if you stop looking at it or the rubber ducky that i don't know flies around i don't know there's all kinds of like dumb stuff You, you could tell that they had a lot of fun writing some of these things when it wasn't taking itself too seriously
1: I think they did get a lot of inspiration from a, oh, there's a series of kind of collective fictional writing out there called the SCP foundation, which is also about a governmental organization trying to contain control and study supernatural and paranatural entities. Um, that refrigerator that kills people when you aren't looking at it is actually a direct homage to the original SCP entry which was about a statue that always had three guards in the room because if anybody wasn't looking at it, including if somebody blinked, then it destroys everything in sight.
0: I mean, it's dark stuff for sure. And they they allude to the same, like, dark stuff in this game. Like, it does not shy away from, uh, you know, like you said, somber and morbid or even, like, you know, horror topics. But then at the same time, you have um, other aspects of the world that they've created, like The Threshold Kids, which is a puppet show that's Hmm. just a a live action video series that's embedded in the game.
1: (laughs) I think one of the things this game does very well is the juxtaposition of the ordinary of the mundane with the horrifying and the crazy stuff like the um, refrigerator It also murders people. You know, it's uh, two things that don't don't normally go together.
2: So speaking of that threshold kids thing you were talking about, uh, Brian, uh, actually, every single one of Remedy's games has something like that in it. So Max Payne, there was some uh, murder mystery series that you could watch on TV. In uh, Alan Wake, there was a show called Night Springs that was basically, I don't know, it was like Twin Peaks or something like that. And then in this one, you've got the Threshold Kids. They always have some kind of TV show that if you take the time, you can watch it on TV in the game. I don't know. It's one of their things. I,
0: I really like that. And it, it's does it's such a nice like bit of world building. And I think that's one of the things that resonated for me, uh, surprise, surprise, most with this game. If you've heard me talk about a game before and I have mentioned the words world building, it's usually preceded by, I like um, the world building in this game. Uh The big thing that this game does really well is the codexes entries, and they come not only in text, and they're extremely well written when they are text, but they also come in videos, and in, um, you know, like, audio recordings. Like, there's a fake podcast in this game. Uh, which is great. You know, as a podcast listener, I got to listen to a fake podcast while I gamed. Wonderful. Yeah, I will say, uh, I,
2: don't, I generally skip over codexes in games. Uh, I think I read every single piece of material I could find my hand on uh, in, in this game, which, which was a lot. And I, I never got bored with it. Again, the, the writing is so good. And you could tell like it, this wasn't filler. This was like something that somebody carefully placed where, where it was every single time. And some of it was funny. Some of it was scary. But it was all worth reading.
1: I think one of the nice little bits of world building, one of my favorite ones, was kind of like the, almost the corporate style of it. Like these cheesy motivational posters you see. Like you walk into the building and one of the first ones you see says something like, do as you're told, don't eat the mold. (laughs) And that just cracked me (laughs) up. Like that's exactly the sort of cheesy little rhyming thing that HR would come up with.
0: That's right. Yeah. It's the same type of thing you see on the overpasses uh, on the highways all over the place now with the little, you know, sayings that someone in the, the Department of Transportation comes up with every so often.
2: Click it or ticket.
0: Yeah. (laughs) But, um, the way that they do this, even down to like, they have an entry on how the Federal Bureau of Control is funded, which is hilarious. They're like, just don't make the number too big. And actually no one will notice that it's even there. It's crazy.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Then there's like the memos. They're like, Hey, just so you know, if you happen to run across any pieces of paperwork that are red or pink, burn them immediately. If you don't danger to everyone and you'll be immediately fired. (laughs) Like, it's just like dumb shit like that all the way through. And it's also heavily redacted, which I think helped to the mystery of everything. Like Every memo you would find would be redacted in some way, so it like leaves it open-ended for the for the player to kind of fill in their own uh, story, too, which was kind of fun.
1: I kind of felt like they over-redacted some of these things, like uh, you're Jesse Faden, you become the director, person in charge of all of this, and then you get these mem- memos from uh, Emily, the research uh, gal who's you know looking up writing these codex entries on the enemies for you and those ones have redactions <laughs> the, too which uh, seems a little overmuch, overused maybe
0: it, it's maybe not internally consistent but i think it the effect is still there and it's it's funny for that i think it proves that
2: no one knows what's going on even the people that are there which i think is part of the story if if, if you follow it like no one seems to know what's going on ever
0: fair point yeah that's that's a good point and uh, What these codexes are are often about, or at least some of them are about, are um, altered world events. You know, uh, AWEs is what they consistently call them in-game. And these are sort of the inciting incidents of all these paranormal activities that the the Bureau of Control is talking about. My favorite one that's referenced is uh, actually a real-world event that they sort of built into the game. I don't know if any of you remember the Havana incident that was determined to be like some sort of sonic weapon in Cuba that uh, affected the American embassy and got a bunch of people sick or injured. They actually like chalked that up to an AWE in a codex in this game, which is Great! They're like these dummies actually believe the sound was the thing. Can you believe it?
2: <laughs> that was cool. Yeah, they talked about it in the radio room, didn't they?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I really like that touch. Like building in like actual known sort of unexplained phenomena into the uh, the lore of the game was really neat. Um, but yeah, to your point, you brought up earlier, Josh, the corporate and bureaucratic style that sort of pervades the game, and I think one thing that you know consistently to me kept me going throughout this game was just like I need to see what's next in this world it's so stylistically consistent and to my mind that is like a a sort of four pillars of like corporatocracy dream logic uh paranormality and brutalist architecture
1: (laughs) (laughs) the game definitely had a lot of style that's for sure
0: Mm -hmm. like even down to like the title cards that come in every time you enter a new area
1: oh I loved those
0: yeah, they're so like overwhelming and awesome. Like they completely disrupt your view of the entire room, but they have a very specific font and they are like just super brutal and they come in with a big like sort of base drop, sort of, you know, Dark Souls style but way more stylistically appropriate for this game.
2: And I like their use of color too. So, we talked about this a little bit, but the building itself is boring as hell it is a corporate building it is all concrete and metal and gray and boring and suck
0: and brutalist yeah (laughs) Yeah. um it's actually just to mention real quick it's actually based off of a real building uh the (coughs) at&t long lines building uh in new york city is Mm -hmm. serves as sort of an inspiration for the oldest house in game
2: gotcha so it is it is it is boring to look at there's nothing going on there but then they'll do these like instantaneous things where the entire screen is washed with bright blue or dark red or like they they do this crazy amount of things with color that that it's all about contrast so you take this boring palette and then you wash color all over it to to like highlight a certain thing or whatever and and the use of it and the way they do it is really cool and I think I told you guys I got to use uh, my new hue lights that I'm syncing up to Uh, my tv with that and that just was the coolest thing ever like you'd walk into a room and everything would go like black and then dark red and my entire theater wall would be just washed in red it was so cool
0: that video you posted was incredible like with the klaxon going and the uh, hue light actually like mimicked it off the screen yeah that, that was, was amazing that was crazy i think if you could find a place to host that we need to like link that for people to see because i was like such a perfect implementation of that technology it was really cool and this game is a perfect game for it like you said um while the visuals on on the game because of its environments it's brutalist sort of plain concrete you know it's very simple but it's very crisp and every change that you make to it like for example you fucking up the concrete with your psycho kinetic throws of things you know is felt
1: oh i love that throwing ability uh, before we get into the combat too much though i want to touch on a couple of points brought up already uh brian was talking about that font that goes in there that was i think one of my first favorite details about the game i loved a lot about the game when I was going through it but that was a big like early thing for it like that font is everywhere on your screen It gives no shits about what you can see and what you can't see it is there It is making itself known and that's kind of like what the Bureau of Control is supposed to do They're like they are there they don't care what you want Uh, So it was kind of a good way to build world world building into that I also wanted to talk a little bit, I like the kind of dynamic the uh, brutalist architecture had, like um, what Clint said, lots of concrete, very boring sort of thing. Um, There's almost two different ways people see brutalist architecture these days. Um, There's kind of like the dystopian government uh, Soviet architecture kind of thing, you know, totalitarian state, and that's reflected in uh, this the way the buildings put together. Uh, But when Brutalism first came out, it was supposed to be more like the architects being freed of um, having to have certain supports or certain forms because of the ability of concrete. Like they could almost play with concrete in a way they couldn't before. They could uh, do all kinds of new buildings. And um, if you remember, in the control points, before you cleared them and turned it back into boring, bureaucratic, uh, corporate and concrete style. It was like, there were cubes and pillars and things jutting out everywhere. And it worked really well with the concrete, but it was also kind of like that freedom to explore over there. And I think that ties back to that uh, control, the federal bill of control, trying to like impose itself over these uncontrollable things. I thought that was a cool way it mixed that in with the architecture.
0: You hit on something with um, the brutalism and the concrete being, you know, freed of constraints. Brutalism is actually like the architecture of the people in history. Uh, and it doesn't actually, you know, come from the root of the word brutal, which we know is meaning cruel. It comes from béton brut in French, which is concrete, you know, it's just a concrete building. Um, so, yeah, t- to your point, though, it's it's very much a big part of this game. But let's, you know, before we go... Any further, I think we do need to set up like what's what's happening in this game We've talked about, you know, you making your way through this building the Federal Bureau of Control, but why? Um, So the game puts you in the shoes of Jesse Faden who's portrayed by Courtney Hope who is an actress who has been in other Remedy games and you are in that role the Bureau's new director. So as that person you get um, this thing called the service weapon, which is a sort of shape-shifting gun And you get a bunch of sort of paranormal abilities, and you have to defeat an enemy called the Hiss, which has invaded and corrupted reality, and as Josh mentioned, sort of encroached all of these weird cubes and pillars into the concrete architecture of the oldest house. It's a corruption, and you need to stop it.
1: I was actually kind of surprised. I went into the office building seeing all the posters about mold. And I'm like, oh, that's what went wrong. It was the mold. Surprised. <laughs> it was the mold's fault. No, dude, that, that was
2: that was yesterday's problem. Yeah, that was a problem that they'd already dealt with mostly. Like, this is... The, the whole point of this game is I think this just happens on a weekly basis. Like, everything is always <laughs> fucked up. Like, oh, my God, the, the mold almost killed everyone last week. This week, it's the hiss. Next week, it'll be uh, some intergalactic... Bullshit. Something. Oh, yeah. do you guys
1: remember the uh, comb-over guy in the Panopticon, Langston? Yes, mm-hmm. I loved him. He's like, "Are you done with this yet?" I missed my desk. <laughs>
2: <laughs> if if you play the AWE um, uh, DLC, he he has a huge part in that, and he just like goes in these long ranting monologues about nothing. So if you, if you really like,
0: if you really like Langston, go play the AWE stuff. That you'll like it. I, I got to say he was my least favorite, <laughs> he was such a douche. I know, but, um. but it was like
1: perfect. He's, uh, he's, he didn't get to be manager cause he was good at anything. He just like out, outlasted everyone.
2: Yeah. He just been there the longest and, and wouldn't freaking leave. So like, I don't know, be in charge of this, I guess.
0: Yeah, there are some really good characters in this story, though. Um, you know, Jesse, your your main character, is actually I think one of the least likable people in the story, which is fine. You know, she's like sort of a hardened badass who's also sort of psychotic. She has a voice in her head, and that may or may not be you. I don't know. They call it Polaris in the game, but um, it's an interesting thing. Uh, you meet a few other people. The former director Trench is sort of narrating a lot of things. He has an excellent voice
1: the cigarette monologue he is
0: the voice of max Payne, which i believe is the uh the actually
2: james mccaffrey i think is the name of of the actor he's the actor that did the voice of max Payne. he did something else in uh, alan wake these guys like to work with the same actors over and over and over i found that's one thing i found by going back through everything so it's kind of cool the ocean view motel and casino is a familiar friend to me I stayed in countless motels like it while investigating AWEs across the country, back in my field agent days. Those roadside motels all bleed together like a dream, same and not the same, anywhere and nowhere.
0: I like that they do that and bring people back that they, you know, know they can get good performances out of it and have worked with before. It's nice. And when you recognize, like, a person from another game or another, you know, voice, it's it's nice. And I like that they're just not using the industry standard people, too. Like, your um, there's who, the guy that does, um... Like, Uncharted is, like, in literally every video game. I can't remember his name, but when you hear that voice, it almost, like, sort of takes you out of it, because it's like, oh, that guy's, like, a dozen other characters. It's
1: like Skyrim, <laughs> just across everything instead. Not Skyrim, Oblivion.
2: I think it's Nolan North is is who you're talking about. He's in, like, ev- everything. Everything.
0: There's other characters in this game as well that are, are really interesting and um, sort of keep you moving forward. Ati, the janitor, is one of the first ones you meet. He's very mysterious. Uh, he may or may not be like some sort of interdimensional god. <laughs> <I'm> pretty <laughs> sure he's in control of the whole thing. Um,
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, everyone needs a janitor, and I think that's where he gets his power from. Everyone needs a janitor, so he's the archetype of the janitor. He gets where he needs to go, and he cleans up the mess. You're his new employee. Slash yeah. the director of the whole thing
0: <laughs> Yeah you're his new assistant Which is hilarious because you're also the director Of the entire building Yeah he gives
1: no, he gives no shits that
0: you're
2: actually in charge He's like I don't know you're the new janitor's assistant Just, well,
0: I, I think that's exactly correct though Like the director of the bureau reports to the janitor <laughs> That makes sense to me <laughs> At least according to him <laughs> Yeah I mean yeah you're, you're right He's definitely like uh, important but in an understated way Which is a wonderful sort of little mystery Of its own
1: I like that he was giving his, um, he's supposed to be Finnish or uh, kind of speaks with a Finnish accent, I guess, and he just gives Finnish idioms translated literally, which makes zero sense.
2: Oh, I believe Sam lake is Finnish, and maybe the whole team is to i'm guessing
0: yeah they're all it's a fin, Finnish finished studio i yeah, think okay um but to me the star of the show is absolutely uh dr casper darling who is portrayed by uh Matt Peretta and he has several sort of um uh real videos you know um live-action video uh, embed, or embeds in the game, which sort of take the form of training videos or introductions <laughs> to the Bureau on various topics. And he is just excellent in these. He is such a spaz, but he's so enthusiastic. Um, he's very clearly modeled after like a Richard Feynman type. Nobody knew name, but you turned up just the same. There was a knock on the door,
2: Yeah, this was a, uh, so we were talking about where they get some of their other stuff. And for anyone that doesn't know about the rest of Remedies works, they did a game called Quantum Break, where it was basically like half of a TV show and half of a video game. It was kind of like a cool, like mix of the two. I almost used a big word like amalgamation right there just to make Brian happy. He doesn't think I know big words, but I I just choose not to use them. Anyway. um, (laughs) You should. (laughs) <laughs> but they the whole mixture of live action uh video into a video game I, I feel like they really fine-tuned that and brought that in with this game especially with the training videos and things like that it was a cool touch
1: it was a nice piece of uh you know these would just be film projectors running in the background so you could stay there and watch them just you know on the screen or you could open up the codex and re-watch them afterwards
0: Yeah, it it works really well. And, you know, live action in a movie, um, you know, it it can be hit or miss. But for whatever reason, Clint, like you said, they figured it out with this, like every multimedia aspect that they brought in, seemed to be additive instead of something that's like distracted you from the the tone of the whole, which is weird, because it takes so many different, you know, forms. It's not often that you see a game that can stylistically blend Um, You know, high end video game graphics striving for reality with actual real time, like live action video. Um, And it it all looks of a piece, which is crazy.
2: Yeah, they did a good job with it. And I think that's another uh, tip of the cap to how they use their actors, too. They do this is one of the nice things about using um, actual actors and then using their actual faces because you can easily switch back and forth. And I think that's a lesson, again, that they learned with Quantum Break and that they've uh, been able to take into other things after that, which is cool
0: definitely a studio that's sort of pulling from uh all of its uh previous backgrounds to make something that's transcendent uh see hades Mm -hmm. yeah so one of the things that came together really well uh for this team you know having come from the uh the max Payne lineage uh is the combat which is in this game pretty great um you know it's it's pretty simple third person action shooting but it's got enough twists to make it really interesting
2: yeah, that's one thing uh, I wanted to point out, too. Having played all all the Remedy games, none of their games are standard shooters, like not a single one. So Max Payne did Bullet Time for the first time. That was their thing. Alan Wake, uh, it's a shooter, but it's more about light and dark as a weapon than it is about the gun as a weapon. Uh, you got Quantum Break, which is all about using another thing with time as a weapon. And then this one, you have a gun, but that's not really what you use. Like, mm-hmm. that's just there to make you feel comfortable. Like, yeah, it's a shooter. No, it's not. <laughs>
0: The, the gun's actually, like you said, yeah, you're absolutely right, Clint. The gun is more of a, a marketing instrument than it is like what you're using to to win the game. Uh, to me, my primary weapon was, uh, of course, the force throw. Uh, basically, this is the best Jedi game in which you are not a Jedi.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. The, the flying, throwing, all that stuff. You And you're probably absolutely right. Because if they didn't put the gun in there, people would be like, what is this game? So they put it in there to make everyone
0: comfortable. And they're like, now
2: that you know what this is. It's not that we're going to
0: put that gun over here in a, in a box. Yep. So you don't actually have to use it. Yep. I feel like
1: I used the gun maybe more than you guys did. Probably about a third of the time I was taking out enemies with one of the forms of the gun.
0: I, um, I guess I, since I had played this game through a second time for this, um, recording, I like knew that the throw was a really powerful thing. So I just mainlined the throw for every upgrade when I first got it and it became insanely powerful.
2: Mm-hmm. It's the first thing I maxed out after, after hearing you say that, um, and yeah, that was definitely the most effective thing in the game.
0: And I will say,
2: I'm, I'm going to plug something here too. I know every once in a while I tell you what's cool and what's not with the immersive experience. Because um, I've got that theater room downstairs. But holy shit. In 7.1, when you grab something, you know how it like swirls around you and then yeah. out, back behind you? Every time you grab something, it would like swirl around the room. It was it, They did a real good job with the audio design in this game and, and using uh, surround sound. It was really cool. Okay,
0: so real quick, uh, Clint, in your professional opinion, what is more satisfying—the um, the force throw in this game or Kratos' axe in uh, the latest God of War?
2: Oh, I don't know the force. Ugh. See, I... oh, I stumped him. God, <laughs> I don't know. That's that's really hard. A- actually, Kratos' axe pissed me off at, at the beginning of the game, and one of my favorite moments in the game is when you finally go home and get your Blades of Chaos
0: back out. Um, Okay, I think we answered it. The force throw takes the crown for uh, most satisfying throw. Oh, it's Um. it's a super satisfying
1: (laughs) move. There's all that wonderful concrete around you, and concrete just breaks so beautifully. You know, crumbles and explodes, and you got big chunks of things missing. This game did, I think, a really nice job with its destructible environments, and especially because you're in an office building, just lines and lines of desks, and you just take a huge chunk of concrete and rip it down the middle and destroy everything like a kid with a sand castle.
2: I liked how they left the destruction as well. Like it wasn't like, you know, some games they'll, you know, you rip a piece out or something moves and then it goes back to being normal. No, that chunk out of whatever wall you just ripped it out of stays there. So, mm-hmm. and then when you got into the multi throw at the end where you're throwing like multiple things that at one time, it just turned into destruction
0: city and it was pretty sweet. It really is. It, it's a wonderful feeling. And like it, when you sort of pan your camera back over a room after you're done with a big fight and you see what used to be an office, basically just like a whole pile of debris with a bunch of, you know, concrete everywhere and desks and papers and letters and all that stuff. It's just, wow, I really did a thing here, didn't I?
1: (laughs) (laughs) And because that throws your main attack, it affects the environment so much. I mean, this isn't like, oh, you've got a couple of grenades to go along with your assault rifle. No, it's like, here's your thing you do you mess things up
0: yeah every game that has a ballistic weapon you know even the, the gun does this too right like there it leaves marks on the wall better than any game that i've seen to date uh regardless of which weapon you're using and, and uh, you know why other games haven't taken it to this degree you know every game has concrete walls but they don't they don't do what this game's concrete walls do. <laughs> <too. laughs>
2: well i think the reason is remedy just does <laughs> It's the artistic vision thing. They never want to compromise on anything, even if it means it doesn't run so great on your PS4, which it didn't. It ran terribly. <laughs> uh, I quit playing this game on the PS4 Pro because it ran so poorly and waited until I could play it on, on the PS5 where, where it would be better served. So sometime, this is why they don't make all their money like the Activisions and, and the Ubisofts, right? They have a vision. They're going to do it and they'll find a way to do it even if it's gonna going to take some time. Like, and maybe it doesn't turn out the best today, but they will stick with a franchise until it is perfect.
1: You guys were talking about the weapon a little bit. I guess I'm the only one who liked the gun in this game, but there are a couple things I really liked about the gun in this game. Uh, first was you never had to reload. the Your ammo just regenerated when you weren't in combat or tweet when you were taking cover or something like that so you never had to worry about how many shots you had you come into a fr- uh, fight and you always have a full clip to do what you do with uh second thing i really like was there was only the one gun but it could assume the different forms because this is you know like a paranormal object of power they have here so your gun would be the pistol it would be the sniper rifle it would be the missile launcher and it would almost be like this um archetypal weapon form like uh the machine gun is the machine gunniest version of this weapon and the sniper rifle has a little bit of zoom and a lot of damage but low ammo so it's all the trade-offs within the same weapon
2: yeah and it shifts around just like the building does like they it it fit the theme very well you're not going up against paranormal stuff with a nine millimeter pistol you're going up with another object of power that kind of fits the story
0: The thing I liked uh, or thought was most interesting about the service weapon was that you can only bring in two weapons at a time that you can switch between freely at will of a total of about six. As you mentioned, you know, there's the shotgun, the the pistol, et cetera, et cetera, but you can only access two of them immediately without pausing and changing your loadout, which uh, is a nice constraint and, you know, lets you sort of customize based on what you think is going to best suit the moment.
1: It wasn't really a restriction because like Brian said, you could pause at any time and change things around but it wasn't like what they do in doom where you just hit a different hot key to switch to a different weapon type i'm kind of thinking that encourages players not to pause and switch except when they really need to and it kind of takes the focus off of the gun too because yep. that is a little bit more inconvenience to optimally quote unquote use the service weapon
2: Right. It's, it's all about flow. So they wanted you to keep going. It's about flow of combat. If you're stopping to pull up a weapon wheel to pick one of six things like that breaks the, the flow of combat, they just wanted you to go. And again, you're right. I don't think they wanted you to focus on the gun because the gun's not the star of the show. You're the star of the show. Your crazy powers that you've earned by being the director and conquering these objects of power or in dealing with these AWEs is, is what
0: makes you, you. and and i think this is where we landed with doom too right like we all agreed that keyboard in order to access any weapon immediately was uh, superior to being forced to utilize the radial um, menu to choose weapons yeah absolutely by far so this game this game obviates that it's like you're playing this game with a controller for sure we're just not going to give you even the the radial option it's choice between two you switch them with a button
1: i actually played with the keyboard of course classic <laughs> josh doing the opposite <laughs>
0: yeah well aside from the gun you do uh, get uh, other abilities besides just the throw the throw is far and away the most um uh you know important and awesome of all of the abilities but uh they do give you other ones and they're all aligned to an object of power which i like you know these objects of power have a story each of them and they're all you know they're what imbue you with the ability to do these sort of paranatural things like the throw which is uh, a floppy disk which holds nuclear codes basically they're saying this floppy disk became like imbued with this launchiness um, yeah this launch power wonder why um, because of all of the people's uh, in the cold wars collective fears being focused on this item that held the basically the keys to their destruction
2: yeah there's the there's also the the fly I guess it's not flying sort of flying whatever
0: the merry-go-round horse yeah
2: (laughs) for the (laughs) dodge and evade yeah you got that and then you can do almost like a possession of of enemies and taking them over to your side these are things that other games do but they just did it so much better i think
0: i think this is actually sort of an underrated and very useful ability you can sort of turn uh enemies of the hiss uh the enemies in this game by the way just to, to mention are just sort of your standard soldiers they're actually employees of the bureau who've been possessed or corrupted by the hiss but um You can take them over, and this is very useful because they serve as distractions. And this is not an easy game, so you need bullet sponges that aren't you.
1: (laughs) You know, when I kind of um, started this game, I was expecting it to be a little more of a Metroidvania in terms of you pick up abilities, and those abilities allow you to reach new places. But it really didn't turn out that way. Apart from levitation and eating the mold pills... The really the only new way you'd unlock areas was upgrading your clearance card, your clearance level, which was done by advancing the storyline. So didn't turn out the way I thought it would.
2: It did fold in on itself a little bit. Like I'd find myself going back to previous areas and you could recontextualize based on a couple new abilities or like you said, the clearance codes uh, being available at that time. But um, but yeah, it it wasn't tied to new uh, new abilities
0: that much.
1: Yeah, there was backtracking, but it didn't. It didn't feel Metroidvaniaish to me.
0: I I agree. You know the, the game. The, I would say nominally is a Metroidvania because of that. You know revisiting and you do. You know w- the glide is sort of the main thing I'm thinking of that sort of allows you to access new areas and in, in old places. But yeah, now that I'm thinking about it, is it is much more linear than a standard Metroidvania. Although they do unlock a lot of sort of uh, side quests that you, at certain points that can take you off the main path for a time, but. As you mentioned, Josh, it's not like they're gated by abilities. They're just gated by progress through the main story. I touched a little bit on the enemies, uh, who are, as I mentioned, just generally speaking soldiers, although they're all possessed. Um, but there's a lot of different varieties of them. You get the heavy armored ones, these sort of standard grunts. You get ones that are so possessed that they're flying through the air every which way.
1: You get the healing orbs. You get the explosive kamikaze drones.
0: Yeah, you do get some enemies that are just fully paranatural uh, entities, like you mentioned, Josh, the orb, or the like crazy siren gargoyle people. But, yeah.
1: You know, one thing I liked about the combat in the game was that you never really entered a room and there were enemies there already. That would always be, they'd flash in with the red lighting and music would start playing. You always knew when combat was starting. So it was easy to shift around from like, I'm going to explore every room and look for any scrap of paper. I can read more information about this bureau. And okay, it's time to uh, not diddle around and hide behind uh, doors. It's time to, you know, take some names over here.
2: Yeah, and and I guess we didn't really talk about this, but as different as the combat is and using all these kind of things that a lot of other games don't, it felt super smooth. Like, the combat was silky smooth. That, that's one another thing Remedy does very well. The combat's mm-hmm. always top-notch. They do a really good job with that, so it, it all felt good, um, didn't feel clunky at all, and uh, it was super satisfying.
0: I agree. The fights are super chaotic, but as you mentioned earlier, you're encouraged to just sort of flow from thing to thing, taking cover, jumping out, being mobile. Um, it's almost as important in this game to be mobile as Doom, although I think this game allows for a more, um, you know, a lot more use of cover than, than Doom might. Doom is, I mean, cover's almost not a thing in Doom because of how mobile the enemies are, but in this game, um, you, can, you can utilize cover effectively if you want to. Some, yeah.
1: This game definitely is a lot about mobility, Um, even as soon as you get dodge, like being able to um, dodge into where you just took out a couple of enemies, gather their health orbs, maybe throw up your shield from there if you are under a lot of fire, Um, but it did have some interesting tactical vocabulary that was different than uh, other shooters I've recently played.
2: Yeah, it makes you think outside the box, which I thought was super cool. It's it's not your standard set of verbs. you got a whole new tool set to, to work with, which is, I think, what makes this game fresh and different, even though it's technically a shooter, and you could kind of boil it down to those key components. There's, uh, there's a lot more to it than other games in the category.
0: So with that, um, why don't we try and sum up our thoughts with a, a three-word review. I'll start us off with my three-word review, which is you're in control. Uh, control is a game that's aptly named. For some reasons that are obvious and others that are not, the game very much puts you in control of the action, letting the player change around their uh, weapon setup at, uh, at will uh, and flow from uh, room to room and uh, battle to battle, and also uh, on side quests, sort of deviating from the main story in a Metroidvania fashion uh, in a more open-ended way than a standard shooter. You're also in control of how hard it is. It has really good accessibility options uh, with the Ultimate Edition, which weren't there in the original version. They actually allowed me to finish the game, which I'd actually fallen off of the first time because of it. So use those accessibility options, it's worth seeing this game through to the end. And finally, you're in control because of this game's world building. It's really immersive, it puts you in the action, it pulls you in, and with codex entries containing everything from late night drive time radio to a paranormal encounter, Uh, within mission briefs it reads like a synopsis of an x-files episode but it's really thanks to this world's great building and memorable characters looking at you casper darling that this is a strong recommendation from me
1: all right my three word review for this game is archetypal action excellence uh this game i love the world building it. don't get me wrong here like I, i wanted to dig up every scrap of information i could about the story um, the Bureau, how it came to be, all these wacky objects of power, and how they all tied it together. I like the world building a lot, um, but the star of the show for me was the combat, was the action experience. It was taking a large desk full of computers and papers and shoving it right at an enemy, knocking out him and his buddies, and just seeing the path of destruction you would carve out. Um, and because, like Clint was talking about earlier, the verbs in this game were different than your standard shooter, it gave a very different kind of experience, um, a more purer, a more archetypal, if you will, of how action games should be done.
2: My free word is remedy to repetition. Uh So I've been a huge fan of Sam Lake and Remedy Entertainment as far back as Max Payne, kind of like we talked about earlier, and I think that's actually the game, like we said, that kind of truly made me a PC gamer, which is kind of cool. So not only do these guys always sit at the forefront and lead the pack with masterful storytelling and world building, but they always are pushing the envelope of gameplay in some way as well. So with Max Payne, we talked about they were the first ones to use bullet time. Uh, Alan Wake used the systems of light and dark that was a key combative component. Quantum Break was just as much of a TV show as it was a video game, and then Control kind of breaks the norms of the traditional shooter with uh, crazy mechanics like flight and object manipulation, things like that. So this team is always bringing something new and exciting to the table, and they're willing to push the envelope and try daring new things, which is what I really like about them. So they're kind of like the antithesis to uh, Ubisoft, EA, Activision that are going to put the same thing out every year, you know. Same boring formula just because they know it's going to sell, so Remedy titles don't always kill it on the sales side but their impact to the industry is always huge and their efforts definitely shouldn't go unnoticed so i hope they get to keep making games for a long time because anything that sam lake touches pretty much turns to gold in my book and i went back and played every single game they've ever made uh, before recording this podcast and i can say that even the older titles hold up today just because all of them have something revolutionary about them in their design and they're truly stand out so if you missed any of them i'd recommend playing any game by remedy entertainment for sure
0: fantastic and giving us some ideas for future podcasts for sure i'd mm. definitely be interested in checking out some of that backlog um and to that end uh, i want to thank you for listening if you enjoyed this podcast then sharing it with folks who think might enjoy it as well is the best way to help us uh feel free to drop us a note at pixelated at gmail.com or hit us up on twitter at pixel play if you have thoughts responses etc so for us here at pixelated playgrounds i'm brian skersha
1: i'm josh galecki
0: and i'm clint jones take care and stay in control.
2: One thing we really should have talked about uh, and didn't—we uh, the hub and spoke thing. The, the new remedy verse that they're pretty much creating here. So basically, by using these uh, objects of power and AWEs, altered world events, as like the the catalyst for, yeah for the whole Control universe. Basically, any game that they ever make that has anything weird happening in it can somehow be tied into this. So obviously, they did this in a really big way with um, Alan Wake, um, and actually, an entire DLC was put together to. Purposefully tie those worlds in. In fact, in, in Alan Wake, darkness takes over this town, and he's writing a book. He's an author, and everything that he's writing in this book seems to be happening around him. And basically, that entire story turns out it was an AWE, and and uh, you're actually taking on one of the main bad guys from the game. They've brought him to the control headquarters and have been holding him down in, in, in one of those corridors for in long investigations. Time. Yeah, yeah, and he's break mm-hmm. he's broken loose. And uh, you actually run into Alan Wake. He's stuck in that hotel. So
0: the cool... F- oh, the Oceanside Motel. We didn't even talk about the Oceanside Motel. It's such an excellent part of this game.
2: Yeah, it's, it's, it's basically like uh, it's the hallway in the Matrix where there's a million doors and they all lead to a different bunch of different places. And that essentially is going to be how all these universes get tied together. Like there's a door with a swirl on it, which was kind of one of the uh, motifs of, of the Alan Wake game. And uh, I, I think we're going to find that a lot of new remedy games so they left it really vague right so they all just had little symbols on there I bet you those are all start tying into new remedy titles at some point and it'll all come back into that main remedy verse
0: I don't know that totally makes sense and like they they use such iconic you know visual imagery from you know Americana you know with Alan Wake and with Max Payne and with Control like it all does sort of You know, it's not stylistically identical, but it's stylistically cohesive enough that they can sort of flow across each other, despite having really different tones.
2: Yeah. So my only sad thing is they don't technically own Max Payne anymore. They, Remedy made Max Payne 1 and 2, and then they, I believe, sold it to Rockstar, and Rockstar made Max Payne 3. So here's my take on how this all works together. Uh, Alan Wake was a crime writer, and he wrote crime novels about a grizzled New York detective, Now, his name is not Max Payne for, I believe, licensing reasons, reasons. but I believe Max Payne is the character that that Alan Wake was writing. And as we know, things Alan Wake writes seem to turn into reality in some way, shape or form. So I think Alan almost instantiated uh, Max Payne at some point through his writing. Also, we know that he instantiated the the whole, uh, I guess, the whole story of, of Alan Wake, the whole darkness thing. And then that is tied directly into Control. And if you read one of the uh, um, excerpts from Control, he may have accidentally con- uh, created the hiss. Oh,
0: interesting. Hmm. So you're—I mean, Clint, you got your your red uh, twine up on the wall here with your your pinboard. Your yeah, uh, <laughs> pinboard. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So I, I think Alan might actually be uh, more important to this whole thing uh, than ever. And actually, I heard that they're actually developing Alan Wake Two right now. So. I Ooh, guess we'll get to see how that goes.
1: Was Control um, financially successful? Like, was it a good shot in the arm for them?
0: Compared to what they put into making it, I understand that it's, you know, with the legs that it has, it's quite successful.
2: It took time, though. Again, I watched an interview with Sam Lake about this, too. Like, none of their games make them a ton of money off the front, so it's always a struggle. So people are always asking, like, where's the sequels? So they made two Max Payne games before they sent it to Rockstar. Both excellent games like front to front to back awesome games um, Alan Wake also a very good game it never got a sequel control never got a sequel quantum break never got a sequel none of these games get sequels because I feel like the board of directors is like well that didn't make us a ton of money so I uh, can't do that again like no matter how cool and 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 lovely it is and how how amazing it is they just don't get to make sequels
0: so Do you think the board is a a veiled allusion to their board yeah they fucking hate the board that's why they put them in this
2: game as the bad guys
0: that's awesome do you think uh this is interesting because i think uh sam lake's face is actually max payne's face is that uh, right didn't they use him i mean it's pretty rudimentary graphics from a long time ago but it is his face right
2: correct sam lake uh came on as i don't think he was the creative director at that time but uh I was I watched a ton of his old interviews from back then. You can tell how much he loves all this, Max Payne, yeah. which which is or all of it. Yeah, it's why it's so good. He writes these games, so I think he's the he is the creative director at Remedy now, and I think he does most of the writing and uh, some of the other things. But yes, it was his face was Max Payne. Actually, most of the people at Remedy were in the game in some way. Because they Does that mean Rockstar owns his face? No, they changed his <laughs> face. So you'll notice Max Payne's face changes a little bit from game to game. Actually, by the okay. by the third game, the face looks an awful lot more like uh, um, James McCaffrey, who is the actual voice actor. Um, he was the guy that was Trench. So that tr- Trench's face and voice is James McCaffrey. Um, That's awesome. But yeah, like actually, his mom, Sam's Lake, Sam Lake's mom was the main bad guy in max Payne too Ooh, so it's like a little freudian right it's there. like him <laughs> and his whole family like all of his friends they were all part of this i don't know it's like it was kind of a cool little aside that i didn't know
0: that's kind of the dream right like if you're successful and you get a bunch of investment money from someone to make a video game and you're able to like bring your friends along with you to do a bunch of cool shit like that's neat I, you know i'd like to think that if i Was in a position of power that I'd try and like hire my friends and and set them up good like that. That'd be cool.
1: I think that's That's what Adam Sandler does with his Netflix contracts. It's absolutely what he does with that. (laughs) Yeah, his friends are not
2: good. Sorry, Adam, but your friends just they're there because you're
0: there. Hey, hey, you know, whatever. That guy's living the dream. Um, Seems like a good dude. I don't know if his movies are any good, but he seems cool. People keep sending him money, so they must.
2: (laughs) Without names we're fantasizing Without names
1: we're fantasizing Dancing like flames Miss